0: Open up to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Um, one particular brand of humor, which I don't actually think that is that funny, is two kinds of people jokes. You know what I'm talking about, two kinds of people jokes. So, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who have a way with words and those who have not way. Uh, I don't need, I don't think these are funny either, so I don't need kind, I don't need kind laughing. Don't worry about it. Uh, there are three types of people in the world, those that can count and those that can't. Um, and then, yeah, that one's kind of fun. There are 10 types of people in the world, those who understand binary and those who don't. Now, I have no idea what that means, but I just threw that in there for your computer types here because I thought you would, you'd like it. Now, like I said, those jokes are not that funny. But John is not joking at all when he says there's only two kinds of people in the world. He is deadly serious. It is to him a matter of life and death. Because, brothers and sisters, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who believe that Jesus has come in the flesh and those who don't. Those who are from God and those who aren't. Those who possess the Spirit of God and those who possess the spirit of the world. But this is the important question. How do I know which is which? How do I I tell the difference between those two kinds of people, particularly in a world where there is so much information available to us? You, You could probably go home this afternoon and pick from thousands of sermons on the internet to listen to? How do you know? What kind of person is speaking? Websites with articles and books and bookstores and, and, and then social media and, you know, people that are promoting this and that. How do you know which is which? Well, gratefully, John's going to give us an answer to that question. And he's also going to give us encouragement uh, to be able to know that we can answer that question. So let's read uh, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to just look at the first six verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, Father, in in a world where spirits are multiplied because information is multiplied and prophets and teachers are multiplied, even if they don't give themselves that name, uh, we very much need this test and we very much need this encouragement from you, Holy Spirit. So uh, I pray today this message would help us this today and in the years to come to be discerning, to be able to tell the spirit of truth from the spirit of error in our information age. Uh, today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me. You would grant me grace to speak clearly and rightly to your people and that you would give your people ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts, more importantly, to understand what you're saying, what your spirit is saying to us this day. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I have an outline here for you, and it's a very simple outline, Um You might have noticed in the reading, there's a ton of spirit word, you know, spirit is used a lot here. So I just put this outline up to, and now you're throwing me off with the Spanish one. Uh, But I put this outline up here uh, just to kind of help us to understand, okay, what spirit are, are we talking about here? And I hope we'll make it a little more simple for you. Because John's two points are basically this. We need to test the spirits, but we need to trust the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits, but trust the Holy Spirit. So he begins in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't be gullible. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And there's a reason that this is necessary. And the reason is this. Many false prophets, and I think this would include false teachers. Many false prophets, many false teachers have gone out into the world. And and don't miss that word many there. This isn't a minor problem. This isn't an isolated problem. Even in in John's day, there is an all-out assault on the gospel that started in John's day, that continued up into our day, is happening now, and is going to happen until Jesus returns. So this is a, a very real problem for each and every one of us. And John tells us that behind every prophet, every teacher is a spirit. Now we need to ask, what does John mean when he says a, a spirit? Well, in the gospels we find that the that that, that spirits are always connected to the devil. So you see frequently, Jesus dealing with unclean spirits. Or evil spirits. In the book of Revelation, we see that as, as John has given a insight to see behind the scenes of what we can see with our eyes, that demonic spirits are constantly active in the world. So when he talks about spirits here, he's talking about those devilish spirits that are, that are behind the person, the prophet or the teacher, that's speaking or writing. Uh, John Scott's summary of this is just uh, helpful. He says, behind every prophet is a spirit. And behind each spirit is either God or the devil. There's, there's one or the other. And back in, or earlier in John, in 1 John 2.26, John says that he's writing these things to you, to them, uh, about those who are trying to deceive you. The Niv says, who are trying to lead you astray. And so note, this isn't something accidental. We're not talking about innocent mistakes here. We're not talking about a pastor reviewing a sermon and thinking, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way. Or me looking back on some of the things I might have thought 35 years ago and thought, you know, I wouldn't say it that way anymore. That's not what we're talking about here anymore. It's not accidents, it's not... It's not innocent mistakes. There are spirits out there that are trying to deceive people. There are spirits out there that are trying to lead people astray, even in our day. So how does one do what John said? How does one test the spirits to see whether they are from God? Well, what John is going to give us here is the most fundamental test the bedrock test the one test we can always go to and be sure of the, the most fundamental test behind any spirit or 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 prophet or teaching it says in verse 2 by this okay the fundamental test by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god now at first, at first blush, that seems like a pretty narrow test, doesn't it? For example, what if, what if the person isn't talking about Jesus coming in the flesh? What if he's talking about something completely different? What if he isn't writing about it? What if he's writing about something completely different? Well, uh, I, how do I know then? And that, well, here, here's what I think John's point is. No matter what the prophet or teacher is talking about, the truest test of the spirit behind them is their gospel. That no matter what they're talking about, we we need to dig a little deeper before we buy into anybody and ask, what do they say about the gospel? Because if they don't get the gospel right, if they don't get Jesus right, then they're not to be trusted with anything. That's why, that's why this is the, the test. And the first act, if you will, the first kind of earthly act of the gospel is Jesus coming in the flesh. It's, it's what's called the incarnation. That uh, Jesus came in the flesh is the first act of uh, the gospel. One scholar called the incarnation the central miracle of of Christianity. But, but while it's the first act of the gospel, it has implications for the rest of the gospel. That all of the gospel starts with and cascades down from, like a, like a waterfall, it, it cascades down from the incarnation. That when we get the incarnation right, then all of the other implications of the gospel that fall down from that, that cascade down, uh, from that, uh, we get. That's why John points to this as the fundamental test, as the critical test. So let's just unpack some of that. That Jesus has come carries the idea of pre-existence. That if Jesus has come, he's come from somewhere. And the answer to where he has come from wonderfully is this. He's come from his eternal place as the Son of God is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. So when we say that Jesus has come in the flesh, where it has implications for who he is, for his pre-existence. And uh, then it has has implications for the rest of the gospel because he didn't just come in the sense of showing up to hang out. He, He came on a mission to save. He came for a reason, and so by denying that he's come in the flesh, these people are also denying both his purpose and ability to accomplish that mission, his purpose and ability to save. His purpose, Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. But it also speaks to his ability. Because Jesus coming in the flesh is what enabled him to save. If Jesus hadn't come in the flesh, he would not have been able to, to save. Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, that sinless, substitutionary sacrifice for, for, for guilty sinners was effectual because he was both fully God, the preexistent son of God, because only God could pay the debt for sin. But he was also fully man. He had come in the flesh because only man should pay that debt for for sin. Mark Dever, again, uh, real s- simple summary, he said the sacrifice of one who is fully God and fully man was necessary for guilty man to be reconciled to a holy God, and 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 then it has implications actually for his his resurrection, because Jesus' resurrection not only points to the efficacy of the cross that God accepted that sacrifice on our behalf, but it, it, it points to the reality of his having come in the flesh. It points to the reality of who he is. It's why um, Paul says in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And and, and so when when John says that the the true test, the fundamental test, the critical test is that Jesus has come in the flesh. He's really saying it's the person's gospel. If you get that Jesus has come in the flesh, you get who he is and why he came and what the implications of that were. Most of the early heresies of the church had to do with this issue. The, the, The question of, Had Jesus actually come in the flesh? Uh, And if so, what was the nature of his coming and fully God and and, and fully man? And by the way, the the same is true for us today. Um, Many people that are probably sitting in churches right now all over America revere Jesus as a wonderful moral example and a great teacher. But if you go to some of those people and, and, and say, well, uh, you know that Jesus is God born in the flesh of a virgin come to save us from you. Well, you have gone way too far. See, that that is the very heart of the liberal church in America. Jesus is example and as teacher, but Jesus born of a virgin, no, 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 not raised from the, dead. Um, the so-called Christian cults, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian science, you just dig down to the bottom, every cult gets Jesus wrong, every cult gets the understanding of Jesus wrong, uh, world religions, and the whole God by any other name idea, you know, aren't aren't Jews and Christians and Muslims really worshiping the same God? You would be shocked at how many professing Christians believe that that to be true. And and then the the pluralistic many ways to God, which has become a a truism in our day. There's many possible ways to find God, but... Oh, brothers and sisters, it is a truism that is horribly destructive to people's souls. Jesus is not just one of many possible ways to God. Jesus is the only way. And by the way, that, that kind of pluralism also not so suddenly denies that there's something that's actually keeping us from God where there's something that we actually might need to be saved from. But just listen to what Scripture consistently testifies. 1 John 2, 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Except through me, and then in Acts four twelve, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. I, I need to stop here and, and just talk to any non Christian friends who might be here. And if you're here, I th- I really thank you for that. Jesus alone saves. That's, that's the message of the Bible. He saved by coming in the flesh, by dying for your sins upon the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and, and you could be made right with God and you could have eternal life. But, but here's, here's the wonderful news. You know, people, people think, oh, Chris, that's so exclusive. No one, no one, no one. Here's the good news for you. Another part of Scripture says, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Jesus isn't exclusive. Jesus isn't no one else because he wants to keep people out. He wants to bring them in. And so everyone. If you're here today and, and you're not saved, call on the name of the Lord, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, conversely, in verse three, every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world. Which you heard was coming. So, part of part of the the early apostolic testimony was talking about this, this figure, the Antichrist, that is, that is gonna come at the end of the age. But that, that spirit of the Antichrist, one who both is anti, both that he opposes and he counterfeits. He, he opposes Jesus, but he, he tries to look like Jesus. It's, it's subtle. That's why we need to test the spirits. That that spirit is already in the world in John's day. It's, it's in the world in our day as, as well. And so, uh, the, at at the, at the root of all of these other spirits is this anti-Christ spirit. And where it's really dangerous is that counterfeit part that wants to just say enough about Jesus. So that's why we need to test the spirits. We also need to trust the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, looking through all that could be a source of anxiety, couldn't it? For, for many people, what if I'm i deceived? I mean, I'm trying to be a good Christian, I'm, you know, but all this information. What if I'm what if I'm deceived, or or what if I fail the test? Well, Jesus is uh, uh, John is going to address three groups here: uh, you, they, and and we. That is just going to give us wonderful assurance for any anxiety about this need to test. And the first group is you. And you here isn't just individual Christians, although it is that. It's 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 churches as well. So verse four begins with little children, uh, but in the original Greek, uh, the the wording is actually flipped. It, it 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 begins. You are from God, little children. And don't miss that. That's for emphasis. It's like he's it's like he's pointing. He's saying you 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 are from God. In other words, he, right from the very start, what, what he's going to say, he's, he's making this personalized. He's, he's speaking to you. You are from God, little children. Now, in, in what sense are you from God? Well, in, in the sense of being born of God, in the sense of being children of God, which John heavily emphasizes uh, throughout First John, um, we might say something like, You're incl- you who are included among God's people. You who belong to God. You, who, you whom God is the source of your life because of what the Holy Spirit has wrought in you. And you, those, those people, you have overcome them. The false prophets, the false teachers, the, the spirit of Antichrist. So that's a relief we've overcome. But uh, in what way have we overcome well, going back to the first three verses, we, we overcome by holding to the truth, by successfully testing the spirits, and by distinguishing what the Holy Spirit is and, and what's other spirit. But he gives us a reason. Notice, uh, you have overcome four. Four. There's a reason you've overcome, and that's the good news of this passage, that he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity. He who is in you is greater than he, all of those spirits, even the spirit of Antichrist, who is in the world. We overcome. We're we're able to test. We overcome because as individual Christians and as churches, we possess the Holy Spirit. And the spirits of the world aren't able to overcome him. Aren't, aren't able to be victorious over Him. And because they can't overcome Him, they can't overcome you. They can't overcome this, this church. In other words, it's, it's not because we're super discerning biblical scholars that we overcome. It's because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that indwelling Holy Spirit is greater than he, the spirits of the world, is greater than he who is in the world. Now, a couple related points here that John doesn't make, but I'm going to, and I think he'd agree with them. Sure hope he would. (laughs) This might be where you need to test the spirits in this message. The spirit and the word always work together. John, John is not talking about the need to have some kind of mystical experience where we read something and then we hope that we have this mystical experience where the Holy Spirit helps us uh, to know what is truth and what is not. The Holy Spirit always works by taking us to the Word and, and, and helping us to, to compare What's being said to what is said in the Word, and He gives us illumination. He He turns on the lights. He helps us to understand. That's how we overcome. Uh, he enables us to, cer- to, to discern and understand. He enables us to test the the spirits. It's what He says. This is why I think John would agree in John eight thirty one and thirty two. If Jesus said, "If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples." And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See the Spirit and the Word, they always work together. But, but there's one more thing here. Jesus also said in John 7:17, 7, "If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is uh, from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority." In other words, there's also an attitude of obedience that we bring to this whole thing. See, uh, is it in Timothy? I don't remember. But Paul talks about itch, people with itching ears, they want to hear. Man, what's new? What's exciting? What's... See, there's an attitude of obedience that, that, that says, I, I want to know so that I can obey. I'm going to obey so I want to know. See, that attitude of obedience, that predisposition is, is a prerequisite to knowing. When, when we, when we start our search saying, I want to know so that I can obey. That, that completely changes the way the, the entire search happens. So that's you. And how encouraging that you have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and, 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 and you have that desire to obey. So we don't need to be anxious about the testing of the spirits. And then there's they, those who are in the world, Uh, the world here being that world of people that are just hostile to God and his people. There's a whole world out there that doesn't like you, doesn't like God. Uh, And not only are they in the world, but they're from the world, is a, you know, they are from the world, you are from God. There's two kinds of people that I talked about here at the, uh, at the very beginning. Um, and so they, they, they belong to the, the world. Their identity is, is in the world. And not only that, then he goes on to say, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We might say, the world speaks their language. When they speak, it resonates with people hostile to God, it, it there's there, there's there's this certain resonance. It's one of the reasons we have to test the spirits because there, there's a little of that world left in all of us, isn't there? Until the day where where Jesus returns, there's there's a little bit of that in us, but there's also a lot of the Holy Spirit, which is what's the good news. So, you know, to say that Jesus is a, is a moral example and a great teacher but not born of, it makes complete sense to them. Well, of course, that that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to us. Now, it made sense to you one day, didn't it? The gospel made no sense to me until the Holy Spirit came, until I was born of God. And then, oh, the, the the lights went on. And then we, now when John's saying we here, he's not talking about us. He already talked about us. He's he's talking about himself and his fellow apostles. We are from God. This this is a claim of apostolic authority. It's a claim of eyewitness testimony. If we go all the way back to uh, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, John John begins um, his epistle by talking about his eyewitness testimony, that they had seen, they had heard, they had touched Jesus. It's a claim of apostolic authority, of eyewitness testimony. In Ephesians two nineteen through 20, Paul writes, the household of God, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. In other words, it's that apostolic authority. It's that eyewitness testimony. It's the written word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit through these apostolic men that is the foundation from which the church is built. Edmund Clowney in his book, The Church, said this so well. The church carries the apostolic gospel down through the centuries and around the globe. What it bears is neither a memory of the gospel enshrined in tradition nor a new gospel appropriate to a later age, but the apostolic gospel recorded in the inspired words of the New Testament. And brothers and sisters, then, the, the we here also includes many local church pastors throughout history and throughout the world who faithfully teach this apostolic gospel and this apostolic witness. They might not be the most popular preachers, might not have TV shows or write books. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that if the man is faithful to God. But they're, they're, they're just faithful witnesses of this apostolic gospel that's come to them throughout the ages. The we also includes, by the way, your local pastors who love God's Word, who are committed to expository preaching, to to going through the Bible week after week uh, after after week. Um, Men, Chris and Josh and and Matthew, who have the the sobering, holy responsibility, and yet also the, the joy and the privilege to rightly divide, discern the Word of God, and then to preach the word of God to you Sunday after Sunday. Uh, and the result, whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen. Because whoever knows God has the spirit of God, and whoever does not know God does not have the spirit of God. And so we can know the difference between truth and error. Uh, the band can come up, uh, There's many ways we could end. I could review things. But let let me just leave you with this thought because I I think there's just a a glorious Trinitarian kindness that we find in in this passage. I mean, just think about what we've read, that, that the Father, our Heavenly Father, makes us His children by sending his Son, Jesus, who willingly came to save us. And then the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, not only to inspire this written word, but to give us life, to give us discernment, to give us understanding, to give us illumination. So in a world where many false prophets and teachers have come, and will continue to come. We're able to distinguish truth from error. Amen.